Chapter Thirty Five of Brigands of the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings. Chapter Thirty Five. In with you, ordered Grantline. Get your helmets on. How many? Six. Enough. Get back there. Williams, you were last. The lock won't hold any more. I was one of the six who jammed into the manual exit lock. We went through it. In a moment we were outside. It was less than three minutes since the prowling brigand had been seen. Grantline touched me just as we emerged. Don't wait for orders. Get him. That fellow with the torch? Yes, I'm with you. We went out with a rush. We had already discarded our shoe and belt weights. I leaped regardless of my companions. The scurrying Martians had disappeared. Through my visor bullseye I could see only the earth-lit rocky surface of the ledge. Beside me stretched the dark wall of our building. I bounded towards the front. The brigand with the torch had been at the front corner. I could not see him from here. He had been crouching just around the angle. I had a tiny bullet projector, the best weapon for short-range outdoors. I was aware of Grantline close behind me. It took only a few of my giant leaps. I landed at the corner, recovered my balance, and whirled around to the front. The Martian was here, a giant misshapen lump as he crouched. His torch was a little stab of blue in the deep shadow enveloping him. Intent upon his work, he did not see me. Perhaps he thought his fellow men had broken our exits by now. I landed like a leopard upon his back and fired, my weapon muzzle ramming him. His torch fell hissing with a silent rain of blue fire upon the rocks. As my grip upon him made audiophone contact, his agonized scream rattled the diaphragms of my ear-grids with horrible deafening intensity. He lay writhing under me, then was still. His scream choked into silence. His suit deflated within my encircling grip. He was dead. My leaden, steel-tipped pellet had punctured the double surface of his errant's fabric, penetrated his chest. Grantline had leaped, landing beside me. Dead? Yes. I climbed from the inert body. The torch had hissed itself out. Grantline swung to our building corner, and I leaned down with him to examine it. The torch had fused the scarred wall, burned almost through. A pressure rift had opened. We could see it, a curving gash in the metal wall plate like a crack in a glass window pane. I went cold. This was serious damage. The rarefied Erin's air would seep out. It was leaking now. We could see the magnetic radiance of it all up the length of the ten-foot crack. The leak would change the pressure of the errant system, constantly lowering it, demanding steady renewal. The errant's motor would overheat. Some might go bad from the strain. Grantline stood gripping me. Damn bad. Yes, can't we repair it, Johnny? No, we'd have to take that whole plaster section out, shut off the errant's plant, and exhaust the interior air of all this bulkhead. Day's job, maybe more. And the crack would get worse, I knew. It would gradually spread and widen. The errant circulation would fail. All our power would be drained, struggling to maintain it. This brigand, who had unwittingly committed suicide by his daring act, had accomplished more than he had perhaps realized. I could envisage our weapons, useless from the lack of power. The air in our buildings turned fetid and frigid, ourselves forced to the helmets, a rush out to abandon the camp and escape, the building exploding, scattering into a litter on the ledge like a child's broken toy, the treasure abandoned, with the brigands coming up and loading it on their ship. Our defeat, in a few hours now, or minutes, 
This crack would slowly widen, or it could break suddenly at any time. Disaster, come now so abruptly upon us at the very start of the brigand attack. Grantline's voice in my audiophone broke my despairing thoughts. Bad. Come on, Greg. Nothing to do here. We were aware that our other four men had run along the building's other side. They emerged now, with the running brigands in front of them, rushing out toward the stairs on the ledge, three giant Martian figures in flight, with our four men chasing. A brigand fell to the rocks by the brink of the ledge. The others reached the descending staircase, tumbled down it with reckless leaps. Our men turned back. Before we could join them, the enemy ship down in the valley sent up a cautious search-beam, which located its returning men. Then the beam swung up to the ledge, landing upon us. We stood confused, blinded by the brilliant glare. Grantline stumbled against me. "'Run, Greg. They'll be firing at us.' We dashed away. Our companions joined us, rushing back for the port. I saw it open, reinforcements coming out to help us, half a dozen figures carrying a ten-foot insulated shield. They could barely get it through the port. The Martian search-ray vanished. Then, almost instantly, the electronic ray came with its deadly stab. Missed us at first, as we ran for the shield, carrying it back to the port, hiding behind it. The ray stabbed once or twice more. Whether Miko's instruments showed him how badly damaged our front wall was, we never knew. But I think that he realized. His search-beam clung to it, and his Z-ray pried into our interiors. The brigand ship was active now. We were desperate. We used our telescope freely for observation. Miko's ore carts and mining apparatus were unloaded on the rocks. The rail sections were being carried a mile out, nearly to the center of the valley. A subsidiary camp was being established there, only a mile from the base of our cliff, but still far beyond the reach of our weapons. We could see the brigands' lights down there. Then the ore chute sections were brought over. We could see Miko's men carrying some of the giant projectors, mounting them in the new position power tanks and cables, light flare catapults, small mechanical cannons for throwing illuminating bombs. The enemy searchlight constantly raked our vicinity. Occasionally the giant electronic projector flung out its bolt as though warning us not to dare leave our buildings. Half an hour went by. Our situation was even worse than Miko could know. The errant's motors were running hot, our power draining, the crack widening. When it would break, we could not tell, but the danger was like a sword over us. An anxious thirty minutes for us, this second interlude. Grantline called a meeting of our little force, with every man having his say. Inactivity was no longer a feasible policy. We recklessly used our power to search the sky. Our rescue ship might be up there, but we could not see it with our now-disabled instruments. No signals came. We could not, or at least did not, receive them. They wouldn't signal, Grantline protested. They'd know the Martians would be more likely to get the signal than us, of what use to warn Miko. But he did not dare wait for a rescue ship that might or might not be coming. Miko was playing the waiting game now, making ready for a quick loading of the ore when we were forced to abandon our buildings. The brigand ship suddenly moved its position. It rose up in a low, flat arc, came forward and settled in the center of the valley, where the carts and the rail sections were piled, and the outside projectors newly mounted on the rocks. The brigands now began laying the rails from the ship towards the base of our cliff. The chute would bring the ore down from the ledge, and the carts would take it to the ship. The layings of the rails was done under cover of occasional stabs from the electronic projector. And then we discovered that Miko had made still another move. 
the brigand rays fired from the depth of the valley could strike our front building but could not reach all our ledge and from the ship's newer and nearer position this disadvantage to us was intensified then abruptly we realized that under cover of darkness bombs and electronic projector and search ray had been carried to the top of the crater rim diagonally across and only half a mile from us their beams shot down breaking all our vicinity from this new angle i was on the little flying platform which sallied out as a test to attack these isolated projectors snap and i and one other volunteer went he and i held the shield snap handled the controls our exit port was on the lee side of the building from the hostile search beam we got out unobserved and sailed upward but soon a light from the ship caught us and the projector bolts came up our sortie only lasted a few minutes to me it was a confusion of crossing beams with the stars overhead the swaying little platform under me and the shield tingling in my hands when the blast struck us moments of blurred terror the voice of the man beside me sounded in my ears now haljan give them one we were up over the peak of the rim with the hostile projector under us i gauged our movement and dropped an explosive powder bomb it missed it flared with a puff on the rocks twenty feet from where the two projectors were mounted i saw that two helmeted figures were down there they tried to swing their grids upward but could not get their vertical to reach us the ship was firing at us but it was far away and grantline's search beam was going full power clinging to the ship to dazzle them snap circled them as we came back i dropped another bomb its silent puff seemed littered with flying fragments of the two projectors in the bodies of the men we swiftly flew back to our base it decided grantline for an hour past snap and i had been urging our plan to use the gravity platforms to remain inactive was sure defeat now even if our buildings did not explode if we thought to huddle in them helmeted in the failing air then miko could readily ignore us and proceed with his loading of the treasure under our helpless gaze he could do that now with safety if we refused to accept the challenge for we could not fire through the windows and must go out to meet this threat to remain defensive would end inevitably in our defeat we all knew it now the waiting game was miko's not ours the success of our attack upon the distant isolated projectors heartened us yet it was a desperate offensive upon which we decided we prepared our little expedition at the larger of the exit ports miko's zed-ray was watching all our interior movements we made a brave show of activity in our workshop with abandoned ore carts which were stored there we got them out started to recondition them it seemed to fool miko his zed-ray clung to the workshop watching us and at the distant port we gathered the platforms shields helmets bombs and a few hand projectors there were six platforms three of us upon each it left four people to remain indoors I need not describe the emotion with which Snap and I listened to Venza and Anita pleading to be allowed to accompany us. They urged it upon Grantline, and we took no part. It was too important a decision. The treasure, the life or death of these men, hung now upon the fate of our venture. Snap and I could not intrude our personal feelings. And the girls won. Both were undeniably more skillful at handling the midget platforms than any of us men two of the six platforms could be guided by them that was a third of our little force and of what use to go out and be defeated leaving the girls here to meet death almost immediately afterward we gathered at the port a last-minute change made grantline order six of his men to remain to guard the buildings the instruments the errant system all the appliances had to be attended it left four platforms each with three men 
Grantline at the controls of one of them, and upon two of the others Venza rode with Snap, and I with Anita. We crouched in the shadow outside the port, so small an army, sallying out to bomb this enemy vessel, or be killed in the attempt. Only sixteen of us, and thirty or so brigands well armed. I envisioned then this tiny moon crater, the scene of this battle we were waging, struggling humans desperately trying to kill. Anita drew me down on the platform. Ready, Greg? The others were rising. We lifted, moved slowly out and away from the protective shadows of the building. End of chapter 35